Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Download episodes of previous shows. Welcome. sponsor of today's episode is Indeed. No successful entrepreneur is an island. It takes a core team of trusted advisors to help build a business from the ground up. When it comes to hiring, leave it to the experts. You need Indeed. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible because you can do it all. Attract, interview, and hire all at Indeed. So don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. I know exactly how hard that can be and Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. They help you every step of the way. You can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed's Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. And with Instant Match, for example, as long as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of qualified candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you can even invite them to reply right away. So I've used Indeed before, checked it out. I highly recommend it. It's very simple to use. And with Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. Candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than those who see it in search, according to Indeed data. In my opinion, by far the best place to go find somebody for your job. So get started right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash SPI. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash SPI. Indeed.com slash SPI. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. How do you begin to compete when there are established players in the space that you're in already? Whether it's software or just content creation, maybe you're creating information products, it doesn't really matter, physical, digital. There are likely some people who have already started creating an audience in that space or making a name for themselves. And today we're talking with Derek Reimer who created a competing tool to a very popular software called Calendly. His tool is called Savvy Cal, so S-A-V-V-Y-C-A-L. And it's actually an ingenious tool that, yes, it does a lot of the same things that Calendly does. Both of these things allow you to make it easier to schedule meetings and things, so especially helpful if you're recording podcast interviews or setting meetings or anything like that. But today I wanted to discuss with Derek with regards to how do you get into and actually create something better than something that's already established and exists in a space, you're gonna learn a lot because I learn a lot and I hope that you can take this information and apply it to the space and market and niche that you're in. So sit back because this is gonna be a great one. Cue the intro, here we go. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he has assigned Dr. Emmett Brown Funko Pop by none other than Christopher Lloyd himself, Pat Flynn. What's up, everybody? Pat Flynn here, and welcome to session 525 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. My name is Pat Flynn, here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people, too. And today, we're talking about competition and how to create something that's better. I heard a phrase once, I think it was Sally Hogshead, who once said, Different is better than better. 
And when I first heard that, I didn't really understand what that meant. But what I really understood was that creating something that's different, not just like doing the same things, just, you know, more of them. Oftentimes we think of better as more, and that's definitely not the case, especially in this day and age. But better can mean different, a different approach, a different way of becoming more efficient or optimizing something. And we talk about these kinds of things with Derek today, a very smart uh, engineer and designer, somebody who, yes, we're talking about software today, but who can help all of us no matter what space we are in as we are building our businesses and going through this entrepreneurial journey together. So let's not wait anymore. Here he is, Derek Reimer from Savvy Cal. Derek, welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thanks for chatting with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm excited because the topic that we're going to talk about today, time, is something that, of course, we all have. We all have the same amount of it every single day, but it definitely doesn't feel like that. There are strategies, obviously, and tools and things that we'll get into, but I just wanted to get your thoughts and perhaps even the origin story of Savvy Cal and time and how little it seems we have. What are your thoughts on time in general? I know you have some very specific thoughts about that. Yeah, so to, to kind of start with my little bit of, of my backstory that led me to this, I've always been sort of a maker, I would say, falling into that kind of category. And so from a young age, I was I was toying around with software and building little little products and tools and things and kind of discovered through my through my growing up journey and in just like discovering where my passion lies that um, that I love creating things. I'm also like naturally an introverted type personality. So I can really it really aligns well with kind of the uh, the maker pattern of getting into deep flow and kind of getting getting inside my own mind and exploring ideas and creativity. And so time management throughout my whole entire kind of career journey has been has been something I've been always thinking about, obviously. And so Savvy Cal, to, to kind of tie that in, is a scheduling tool. And it helps people find times to, to meet with other people. And one of the things that you know I encountered... I've been a customer of these types of tools for a long time. And from time to time, I use them for you know scheduling, um, scheduling calls with customers or talking to other colleagues. And I always experienced this innate sense of like of dread anytime I was going to send out a scheduling link to somebody because I knew like I intentionally try to keep my calendar as open as possible. And sometimes all it takes is one thing placed at the wrong spot to kind of break up the entire flow of a day and ruin my productivity for that day. That was one piece that really made scheduling time difficult with people when I was attempting to kind of wear both hats of like someone who needs to interface with the public and with customers. And obviously, that's a super important part of doing business, but also someone who is sort of responsible for being the creative force behind a product and and continuing to develop it and investing the uninterrupted time that goes into that. I was sort of became like a student of Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. And that was that was a big influence on me and uh, sort of got me really interested as I continued to think about this on, on how to cultivate productivity at work. Yeah, I mean, as a business owner, there are a number of things that we have to juggle just within the work that we're doing. But at the same time, it's so important to also connect with other people, which can be difficult to do. I am an introvert as well, so that even of itself is a little bit of a hurdle. But then comes the logistical and administrative part of that, which is often, if we think about how that used to be done, it was just all done via email. And it would be like 50 back and forth passes until we finally align on something and then something changes and we didn't find out and somebody's showing up when they weren't supposed to or something got canceled and the other person didn't know about it. This is why these kinds of tools exist to help manage those processes. But even then, it's still 
felt a little bit clunky or not without personality. This is where SavvyCal comes in to solve a lot of those problems. So what are the big problems that SavvyCal helps create solutions for? There's a couple like problems that we identified early on around sort of the, the scheduling flow. One of the big, big things that I discovered is that people are inherently sort of averse to receiving a scheduling link. And I, anytime I see something where there's people who react negatively to something that should be a really positive thing, like we're choosing a more efficient route to achieve an end goal of finding a time to meet. And yet there's so much kind of visceral disdain for for this sort of interaction. And in talking to to colleagues of mine, I mean, there are certain industries, like I think it's it's pretty common in the investor community when you're talking to venture capitalists or, or angel investors and like that whole kind of realm of, of needing to book times with each other. There's this broad aversion to using scheduling links of any kind. And I think a lot of that comes down to this interesting power dynamic that are, that arises when sharing it. So part of that is an etiquette problem, right? If I'm wanting to meet with you and you have no idea who I am, it's going to be faux pas if I just cold email you and say, hey, find some time on my calendar. Like there's sort of an implied, like I'm asking for a favor, but I'm asking you to do some work in order to uh, negotiate this time with me. And so part of it is just like a human communication issue where like there are certain situations where you have to... You have to put forth this posture of, I'm willing to coordinate this however you want to coordinate it. I, I still was interested to see if we could explore building a product that still made it okay for someone, even if there's sort of an unequal dynamic, for someone to share a link and open up the possibility for someone to, for it to get used in an exchange like this. And so there's a number of different ways that we're sort of trying to innovate around this. A big piece is like trying to make the experience just as convenient for the other person. And so traditional scheduling links, you would often see like a, a, a calendar view and you click on a day and then you see a list of times, right? And if you're a busy person, well, suddenly you have to click back to your calendar and go and try to reconcile what's on your calendar with what the other person is presenting in this kind of minimal scheduling interface. And so we started to think about like, how can we make this more collaborative? How can we make this so that when you receive a scheduling link, it's actually a delightful experience and, and you can really quickly see when you're available, when you're not right on top of the other person's availability. And so that's just kind of one like product way we are attempting to solve this problem with product. I really like that because before you'd have to really explain yourself or else you're going to come across a little bit more from a power perspective, right? Like you said, and I, I felt that before, like somebody who was wanting to interview me said, yeah, I'd love to interview. And they said, okay, well, I'm only available at these times. So you got to make it work. Like, can you please change around your stuff to make it fit into my stuff? And although like the end result's going to be the same through something like SavvyCal, like you said, it's the approach and the sort of dynamics of what happens after that click that actually turns it into, like you said, a great experience. I love how you're thinking about that. Before we talk more about SavvyCal and some of its features and, and how it can help us, your perspective from a maker and a, a problem solver, what's your process for that? There's a lot of people like that who are listening right now. And here you are, a scheduling company, a software, going into a space that's pretty populated. And a lot of people have their own specific ways of doing things. It could be a very big ask to get somebody to change. And what's your approach to solving problems when it comes to just making things and creating? I am a big proponent of 
sharing my work publicly. So I've sort of been, I've been podcasting for a while. And so I kind of have that as a, it's just me and another software founder hopping on the mic and talking through problems in a public forum with the hope of, of other people being able to glean insights. We're not really providing advice on the podcast. It's more talking around just things that we're working on and what, you know, what insights we discovered in that week. But that also serves as kind of a form of getting the word out about the types of problems that, that we're each solving through our, through our respective businesses. There's sort of that piece. And then my corner of Twitter has been a, a fantastic place for community. I know not everyone has the same experience. And there's, you know, there's a bunch of different voices on Twitter that can be sometimes difficult to consume all the time. But I, I've, been fortunate to find like a, a nice, healthy little corner of like really supportive indie makers and other bootstrappers and people who are working on interesting things. I mean, that was honestly one of the criteria that I looked for when I was deciding what to build next was, you know, what is a tool that is kind of in a, in a big market already? I, I knew I wanted to, to play in a big market because that just means there's so many different opportunities to explore and work on positioning and find that pocket of, of true believers who are really going to love the product. And so I kind of was set on that, but also wanted to build something that appealed to the people who were already sort of in my tribe already, people who were already invested in what I've been working on and what I've been building in, over the last 10 years as an entrepreneur. Those are the people who are most likely to, to give it a shot and try something, take a shot on something new. Because like you said, there's, you know, I'm playing in a very mature space. There's a lot of well-established tools. And admittedly, when I started working on Savvy Cal, it was met with a healthy degree of skepticism. Like, are you sure there's really room for something else? Or is this basically a solved problem? And I think even some of my biggest supporters, people who are really wanting to see me succeed, maintained a healthy degree of skepticism themselves and weren't really sure. So I sort of had to rely on on a bit of my own vision and take a little bit of a leap to say, like, I think I can, I think I can improve on the status quo. And honestly, the whole time I've kind of viewed it as starting something new like this, you're like starting a campfire and you need you need that kindling. You need something to, to kind of ignite the movement that you're trying to start. And for me, a lot of that has come from, from my community of people who are you know, listening to my weekly updates or just following me on Twitter and continuing to show momentum. And so I, I've always aspired to kind of build this as a product-led company. And, and one of the ways that I'm trying to do that is, is letting the product speak for itself. And so sharing a ton of like work in progress things to, to give people a window into how the product is shaping. That's also an opportunity for people to chime in and let me know, you know, if they're excited about something or if they want to see something slightly different from what I'm working on. That's a really nice, valuable input into the product development process too. But I think that sort of being very open and sharing kind of the, the sausage making part of the business helps people to feel that momentum. And that's sort of addictive for people and it's sort of contagious, I think. Yeah, I mean, people feel invested once they see how something was and knowing that you want to make changes, people want to see what it's like on the other side of that. So the before and after is always an interesting picture. How did you, when you started this idea for Savvy Cow, or at least even playing around in this area, how did you validate your idea? What were the first steps you did to make sure that this was something that you knew was the right direction to go? I started with a couple of like starting conversations with people who I felt like I, I knew well, so I could engage them, you know, easily in a conversation, just send them a message. But people who I've, I felt like were good candidates to be potential customers. And one resource that I I like to recommend to, to everybody on this, on having these kinds of conversations is a book called The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick. It's a very quick read, super actionable. And he basically teaches you how to talk to people in a way and ask questions 
that doesn't taint the well. It doesn't give you biased feedback because uh, the book is named so that you could you could even validate a product idea with your own mom who is most likely to lie to you because she wants you to succeed and she wants to say, oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And I think anytime we're talking about our ideas to people, we're always vulnerable to people basically not intentionally lying, but just telling you like, I'm trying to tell you something to make you feel good when really they're, they're giving you a false signal. This was a super valuable resource. I kind of learned it the hard way <laughs> through, through my journey over the last couple of years working on a different product and discovering at the end of kind of a 13-month build-out period that in reality, the market wasn't actually ready to buy the product that so many people had told me that they wanted initially. So that was that was big, like starting some conversations with people who I already knew. And I will say, actually, that this is not a complete foolproof activity. Even, you know, the, I would say of the first 10 conversations I had of this kind, trying to just trying to ask questions around how people are solving this problem, what areas they're dissatisfied about, and if they're dissatisfied about something, have they searched for an alternative solution, questions like that. They were sort of mixed. I think a lot of people were sort of very pleased with existing tools and hadn't really thought too deeply about some of the problems that I had thought more deeply about. And so there was a little bit of skepticism. And as soon as I could show an MVP version of the product, a minimum viable product that I could put in the hands of users, I think is when it really clicked for people. I would say that I did sort of the typical have have these conversations to try to validate as best I could. But in my experience this time around, I definitely had to rely on my own intuition a bit. And that meant my goal was to get this initial version of the product out the door really, really fast, as fast as I could, so that I wasn't wasting too much time if it turns out it was not going to be a good idea, so that I could give it an opportunity for it to really click with people. When they first put their hands on the product, they could say, oh, okay, I get it now. Like I see what you're trying to do here. The idea of an MVP is so important. And you know, I like to call that your prototype and you eventually created a prototype to share and actually get real feedback. And it's cool because like you said, it aligns perfectly with, well, let's have the product sell itself product led. And I love that. How do you create an MVP? It can be very difficult, especially in the software space where maybe through these conversations, you're getting people who are like, I want this and now I want this and you get feature creep and you can have this thing that looks like the remote for your television where you literally only use two buttons, but it has 50 buttons on it. How do you define the scope for what makes a good MVP that's going to prove your concept and hopefully something that you can move forward with? It's a tricky one, admittedly. The approach that I took was basically trying to craft initially what's the core thing I'm trying to solve on this first pass. And I sort of honed in on the power dynamic issue. There are other issues around scheduling too that I'm hoping to smooth out. But I decided, you know what, this is the first one. I, I have my own intuition about this problem. Other people have sort of express similar pain around this. Then the job became, how do I identify what the, the key feature around that will look like and try to invest you know, 90% of my effort into presenting an initial version of a solution that speaks directly to that problem. And that meant there were no kind of delete buttons on things in the first UI. There was no billing engine built in. Th thankfully, Stripe has some really good tools like payment links now and, and Stripe checkout where, you know, if you want to charge somebody for something, you can just sort of hack it together, and then you can wire up your billing engine later on, right? It was kind of relentlessly focusing on this core job to be done of the product. And in this case, it was I spent a ton of effort on sort of the the UI of the scheduling link itself. And so Savvy Calc sort of is different from all the other tools in that it presents like similar to a Google Calendar week view when you're looking at availability. And it shows 
grayed out regions where you're not available and ungrayed out regions where you are available. And this was a pretty decent technical lift. It took, you know, I'd say it took several weeks of, of really deep work to kind of massage this, like working with an existing library to kind of make it work for exactly what I was going for and, and all those little bells and whistles that it takes to make the interactions feel really smooth. And so I made sure to, to focus as much as possible on that piece. And then other parts of the UI remained extremely simplistic. And also from these conversations, I kind of got a sense of like, when people are using existing scheduling tools, what are really the features that you need the most? And most people had kind of honestly like three or four features that they were using. And the rest of them were like, eh, yeah, maybe I sometimes use that, but it's not it's not that important to, to you know make the jump over to something new. I like that. So understanding what the minimum requirements are, like the must-haves, right? So that obviously gets baked into the MVP in some way, shape, or form. But then you're also perhaps allowing yourself to stand out from all the other options that are out there by picking, and it sounds like you just chose one thing to really focus on that was going to be different. And that was the experience and this sort of this thing about power when it comes to sharing these links. So that to me is a perfect formula, right? Okay, you want an MVP, you don't want it to just be like another product, but you still want it to do what everybody else does with those other products that are required. So let's get the requirements in. Let's do the one thing different and let's do it really, really well. It sounds similar to when we created a prototype for a physical product. My videographer and I, we invented a tripod that just did one thing really, really well. And that was enough to get started. Now, unlike a physical product, we can't just write code and it changes overnight. We're not at like liquid Terminator sort of metal yet. But with a software, you can do that. So that's the cool thing about software and even information courses. You can actually, you know, make changes on the fly as you go. That's awesome. Can you walk us through, let's go back to like the experience on Savvy Cal since we're here now. Walk us through what that's like. So you and I are scheduling something together. Let's say you are the, you have Savvy Cal. I do not. Go through the process. Let's talk about what that's like and we can maybe pinpoint some of the experiences that are actually a little bit different. So if I'm, you know, I'm trying to find a time to meet with you, Pat, and and so I'm in my Savvy Cal account, and I probably have a couple of generic links set up, like typical, you know, chat with Derek or whatever. And maybe that's the appropriate one to use for this type of meeting, but I reach a decision point where it's like, okay, I know that we need to talk about planning for this podcast episode. Maybe I want to make it a little bit more personal. And so I might just click the new button in the UI to just spin up a new link. It's really, really lightweight to do that. Or if I know that I have like some existing settings dialed in on one of my existing kind of generic links, then I might just hit the duplicate button on that. And it takes me right to an interface where I have my little you know, my little configuration settings, I can tweak the knobs, I can say, okay, this will be a 60, 60 minute meeting instead of a 30 minute meeting. And then right there to the right, this is a key piece that that spoke to my own pain around when I'm about to send out a scheduling link. I'm always nervous that I haven't kept my calendar fully up to date or that I know for sure tomorrow I want to work on this one feature. So I would rather not have a call tomorrow. Let's make it the next day. And so what I want to see right before I click the copy link button is a preview showing exactly what's coming up on my calendar and what availability you're going to see. And so that helps me. It gives me peace of mind as someone who's trying to defend my time a bit. It gives me peace of mind on like, all right, this is what Pat's going to see. And I can right there on the fly make modifications. So I can just drag on the calendar and say, I'm going to block out this range of time. And maybe I'm defaulting to afternoons, but I know like I want to make tomorrow morning available. So I can just drag on tomorrow morning and click the allow button. And so I can make these little like last minute modifications right before sending something out. 
Another piece that we kind of baked in at this phase is ability to have a few preset availability settings. So say that I prefer to meet in the afternoons, right? Because mornings are my deep work time. But I'm willing to meet in the morning if an afternoon doesn't work well for you. We have the ability to say, to give basically ranked availability. It's like, I want to propose afternoons first, but when you're viewing the link, a little pop-up will show up on the bottom after a few seconds and say, if none of these times work well for you, show me some more times. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. It signals to the receiving end that like, these are my preferred times, but you know, I'm giving an, an avenue to expand out a bit more. Sort of strikes that balance of like, I want to be accommodating, but also I want to subtly make my preferences known so that we can hopefully most of the time arrive at a, at a time that works best for both of us. I love that. Because when you were going through that process, and we'll put links, I mean, SavvyCal.com, obviously, and you're going to see a demo and video. There's videos on YouTube, and there's all these different places where you can see exactly how this works. So I know we're on a podcast, so it's a little bit more difficult to visualize, but it is really innovative. And when I'm creating a link to send to somebody, the fact that I could see my calendar right there is so reassuring because my particular schedule is not the same every day. And so I actually have to uniquely create an invite link for different people that allows me to then go, okay, well, these times on this week are available. So here they are, unique individual versus like, okay, I know that 10 a.m. every day is going to be the same. It's it's not like that for me. And the fact that I don't have to like have Google Calendar on the right side of my screen and then Savvy Cal or another thing on the left-hand side, it's like all baked in one. And it does look like Google Calendar. So I'm very familiar with the interface and that sort of top-down sort of drag and drop kind of view. So I really love that. On the receiving end, you send me that link. What's that experience like for me? So you'll receive something that looks very similar to the interface that I just looked at when I was editing. So it's going to have you know your kind of baseline parameters. And honestly, when I when I was in there, since I was making this link specifically for you, I can just pre-fill your information right there in the UI. When you receive it, if I've done that, then you will just see your name right there. It'll be Derek and Pat uh, right on the attendee list. So that's kind of on the left. And then on the right, you see the calendar view. So you're seeing my anonymized availability right now. And if you're not an existing SavvyCal user, then you'll see there's an overlay my calendar button right in the in the upper right. It's a little toggle switch. When you click that toggle switch, you'll see a pop-up that says, hey, Derek's using SavvyCal to book meetings. And if you'd like to see your calendar events right on top of Derek's availability, click this button. And you can just auth whether you're using a Google Calendar or, or Outlook or whatever. So now I, I can actually overlay my own calendar on top of your calendar. I'm not seeing your meeting at 4 a.m. or not, maybe you're meeting at 4 a.m., 4 p.m. or, you know, I'm not seeing anything else but the time you showed that we can chat. And then I can go, hey, well, I want to see what my calendar is like. Let's overlay these things so I can see where there's actually overlap. When I have breaks, and you have this availability. Yep. Wow. That's pretty cool. Are you finding that a lot of people are reluctant to put in their Google Calendar because it's like, well, that's personal information. Who sees it? Is it private? There's definitely some some reluctance for sure. And I, I think it's important to point out that this this overlay step is purely optional. So the, the scheduling flow still works regardless of whether you choose to overlay your calendar. It's a small percentage right now, admittedly, that will go through this, although we do see it kind of increasing over time. And I think the hope is like as SavvyCal becomes a more 
a better known name and more kind of trusted, a little more ubiquitous, I think there'll be even more people who, who are not as reluctant. Uh, we do our best to try to establish trust around that. But really, it's kind of the best thing that a, that a scheduler can do for, for their own convenience. I'm still, occasionally people now will send me a Savvy Cow link to schedule time. It's always a delightful moment. It just feels like a little bit of an out-of-body experience, like using my own product, but from that angle. When I see my calendar magically on top of their availability, it's like, Wow, we, I I really want this for everybody to be honest, and it's it's pretty cool. What are some of the other features that have been added since the launch, and how did you decide that those would be the ones? So this is the challenge, right? Because we kind of talked the MVP phase. It's focus on it's all about focusing on that core differentiator, and and the the narrative running through my mind that whole time as I led up to you know the kind of the V one launch and then beyond is addressing that instinctual question that a lot of people have, which is, well, how is this different than competitor X? You know, because especially when you're in a well established market with known players, that's everyone's natural inclination is to first you know before I even before you even tell me anything more about your product. I need to know why I should even care. Why is this any different? And that was one of the first pages that we constructed was was put a lot of effort into trying to make hopefully a fair assessment, you know, as, as fair as we can on kind of casting the differences between, you know, us and Calendly and Acuity and all the kind of the big players in the space. What this has led us to do is we sort of go back and forth between working on sort of the quote-unquote table stakes features, the features that everyone expects to exist in um, a scheduling tool. And there's, there's a big long list, right? Like the ability to add custom questions onto your, onto your link, the ability to make single-use links, on and on and on. There's a bunch of these kind of features that exist basically in every single scheduling tool. So it's like the, the playing catch-up features. Um, but the whole time, we're always trying to, to weave in kind of the features that set us apart. Um, we have things like like the um, schedule a time zone change. I, I haven't seen this in any other tool, but basically, especially as travel has gotten a little more a little more open, if you're going to be on the East Coast for two weeks, a week from now, you want to be able to tell your scheduling tool between this date and this date, I'm going to be in this different time zone. So just you know, between those dates, automatically shift my availability. And so we, we have a feature like that. We have time blocking is another pretty common practice. I think there are tools like Reclaim and Clockwise that kind of help you do this on a more automated fashion. But it's definitely a strategy that we see a lot of people who are who are kind of into diligently managing their time and budgeting their time will kind of set out for the for the next week ahead. They'll create calendar events like this block of time is for meetings. This block of time is for podcast recording. This is for deep work. And so um, we kind of created the ability to to say, if you want to drive your availability off of like matching the name of an event on your calendar. So say if you have a calendar event called meetings, anywhere that event exists will show you as available for this particular link has been like a, a pretty powerful feature and, and also one that, that kind of sets us apart. I don't know of any other tool that has that. That's cool. And to clarify, this is not a replacement for Google Calendar. Correct. Yeah, not today. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So when, when we say like you can schedule blocks of time, the fact that you can do it in here where you're all eventually going to be scheduling in and around different people that you're going to be interacting with and meetings and such is, is really handy instead of, okay, my to-dos and my productivity, I'm going to do that in Google Calendar. And then I'm going to go to Savvy Cal for scheduling interviews. The fact that it's starting to consolidate is really nice. And it sounds like it could potentially get to that point where this is just all things calendar exists. Uh, is, is that true? Is that in the, the product roadmap? 
still in the grand vision territory of like within a year or two that might be on the on the table you know i like that yeah i think initially i was pretty admittedly intimidated by the notion of building a a full calendar client because there's so much once you start getting into recurrence rules and all the complexities around managing the full set of someone's calendar events it does get complicated. But I also would also say building calendar integrations. We now integrate with Google, Outlook, iCloud, FastMail. We're looking at a ProtonMail integration. So I'm seeing all the different um, dark corners, dark cobwebby corners of calendaring and sort of getting a little less intimidated, feeling like I kind of understand the scope of this a little better. And and I feel like within within a year or two, we might be prepared to uh, to really kind of own the whole calendaring experience. That'd be amazing. That'd be really cool. This will be a fun episode to listen back on with regards to that. Another question I have, and we're coming in closer to the end here. So again, I appreciate your time, Derek. There's a tool that I remember using that was very useful when I'm trying to coordinate, not just with one person, but with several people. Like how do we align multiple calendars together? And there was a tool called Doodle that I remember using way back in the day when, geez, my bachelor party, we were all trying to figure out what times and days of the month we were all free at the same time. And it was kind of a clunky experience. And I know that SavvyCal has created something to potentially solve that problem. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's something that, especially as communities and people are setting mastermind meetings together, it can be difficult to align multiple schedules together. How does SavvyCal help us with that? We've begun to dip our toe into that. And it sort of speaks to where our immediate kind of roadmap lies. So right now, today, you can... You can create a team in SavvyCal and you can say, on this scheduling link, I want to show availability that works for all the people that I add who are on one of my teams. Today, it requires that you know everybody be in SavvyCal, basically, that you want to add as an attendee where you like take into account everybody's conflicting calendar events. So that was sort of step one. And it enables colleagues within a company, you know, if it's like if it's a meeting with, you know, Pat and someone else from from your side, you can just add everybody who needs to be in attendance and boom, you automatically reflect everyone's availability. Works really smooth. But the kind of the next step out from that is then being able to say, all right, now I want to coordinate a time between four people who are not within the same company. And Basically, a, a, it'll either work as sort of like an invitation to let Savvy Cal see your anonymized availability so that we can factor it in, or potentially like fall back to the, the polling method. That's basically how tools like Doodle do it, where it's sort of like you pick a couple times, then you send out an, a survey and everyone can check the times that work for them. And then you sort of just you know reconcile it manually. And so that's like probably a mode that will be important to have. But really, the exciting part is how much of this can we automate if everyone agrees that SavvyCal will be the the kind of middleman, the broker of, of everyone's availability and kind of automatically intersecting it. And you can think of possibilities like um, this is one of... I'll go ahead and tease this one, even though it's not a, a fully fully formed idea yet. But think of it, you know, if you're in a, a shared Slack channel with some other industry partners or something... And this is, I have a, a buddy who's in channel partner sales and he's in all kinds of these channels, right? Where they need to be able to meet regularly. You know, what if you could just say like slash savvy in a Slack channel and it immediately kind of pulls the availability of everybody who's in that channel and then presents some times that people can, can choose right there in line with their communication. And so I think there's a lot of interesting like opportunities to sort of be the broker behind the scenes on finding collective times to meet without having to do all the juggling oh man that would be so handy so so handy literally bring everybody in hit a button hey these four times are available for all of you 
and then somebody of course will have to make a choice or you know the the, the person who set that up but if if it's available for anybody boom it's already set like that would save geez so much time so please make that happen that would be That'd be really amazing. Finally, the, the last question I want to ask you just for any of the entrepreneurs that are here. First of all, everybody, make sure to, uh, you check out SavvyCal, S-A-V-V-Y-C-A-L.com. Always innovating. I love the work in public stance and I appreciate you coming on, Derek. I'd love for you to speak to the makers and creators, uh, physical and digital, who are in the audience right now, who are right in the beginning stages of building their next thing. Any words of encouragement to help them through a lot of the hurdles that they're going to face and uh, a lot of the, the self-doubt that honestly comes and you know maybe you could tie in a story of self-doubt that you've had through this journey uh, to get Savvy Cal to where it's at today. You know, a big thing that has has helped with me is is sort of cultivating a community of of people doing similar things around me. So I've I've always been a fan of sort of the the mastermind model, you know, having a a small group of people who effectively function as an extension of my founding team. I'm a I am a solo founder, um, you know, technically, but but I have a couple of really close friends who are building at similar stages or some, you know, a little bit earlier, some a little bit later, who can sort of speak into whatever challenges I'm facing, right? I can, I can kind of ask someone who's a little bit further along. And then it's also great to be in the position of, you know, having someone who's earlier on in their journey in your immediate circle, but you can then speak into their situation. It really helps, I've found, refine my sort of problem solving capability. And, and it honestly yields benefits back to me. It helps me get clarity around some of the fundamentals that I maybe I've forgot, you know, because I've because I've just been out of that earlier stage for too long. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that's been a huge thing, whether it's whether you find that community through something like the SPI community or through microconf or through just, you know, hanging out on Twitter, like that's like honestly being participating in the community by kind of sharing what you're working on. I found there's a lot of people who have sort of made their way into, into my sphere. I've just kind of seen them participating publicly and and before long, they're sort of making friends and finding people who sometimes it's finding business partners, honestly, other times it's just finding other people to, to commiserate with and, and to, um, to support you because that's so important. It can be a really lonely journey starting a company and dealing with all the trials that might come. I, in the last, last three years, I, I kind of alluded to earlier, but I worked on a product that was ambitious. It was sort of trying to help around um, workplace communication and taking on sort of an alternative to, to Slack. And it was honestly, it was a really tough, it was a tough journey towards the end when I realized like this business probably wasn't going to work. And I had been talking about it, you know, a bunch throughout the, the whole time of working on it. And it kind of came to a decision point of, Am I going to sort of retreat into a cave and sort of remove myself from the public realm? Or am I going to just tell the story and lay it out there? And I decided to, to just write a big blog post about it, talked about it on the podcast and shared that around. And honestly, like that post has been the, the most read piece of content I've ever written. And it was sort of just me outlining a failure that I had. But honestly, so many people responded saying like, wow, this was so helpful to hear, you know, like i I was rooting for you and I felt like I didn't recognize the signs that that this wasn't going to work and so it's you know it turned into an artifact that I think has helped people in the community which is kind of the best thing that can happen when you when you have a failure so it it really takes the sour taste out of my mouth from that experience and really turns it into a, into a good one. That's really great. We'll see if we can get the link for that and put it in the show notes so that others can read it too. A follow-up question to that. How did you come to the realization or make the decision that well hey this isn't it. Was there a particular moment, conversations you've had? What? How did you know? 
it's interesting because a lot of times you get a, a sneaking suspicion. And it was really when I, I I'd spent a long time building the initial version of the product and in retrospect, took a little too long to get something into the hands of customers. I probably could have accelerated this, but I, I took a while. I was trying to, to build a really perfect <laughs> prototype of it. And as soon as I started sharing it with people, the reactions I got were far different from the initial excited reactions when I sort of put out the initial manifesto for the product. And so I, I sort of started to have doubts creeping in. But that is a really, it's a really difficult thing to know when is it time, when is the writing on the wall an actual reflection of, of reality? You know, when is it actually time to say like, there's too many negative signals here and I think, I think this is not the right thing because I got varying degrees of reaction when I announced this. Some people said, well, you quit way too soon. You only put a year into this and startups take many years to, to build. And yeah, I mean, they may have been right. I honestly, I had to, for me, it came down to, to risk profile. How much more time was I willing to commit? And was I willing to change up the type of business I was building? Was I going to go raise some funding to make this financially viable while I tried to figure it out? Ultimately, kind of had to align those types of decisions with, you know, what are my what are my bigger goals here? Are the choices that I would have to make to continue with this? Is it worth sacrificing some of my initial goals for? And sometimes the answer is yes. In this case, it was it was no. Oftentimes when we close a project like that or step away from it, right? It could be very deflating. It could feel like we wasted all this time. And of course, I think we all know we learn from these things that happen. So it's not a complete waste. But what to finish off here kept you going to end up building something incredible like SavvyCal? I spent a couple of months that summer afterward really doing a lot of soul searching and spent a lot of time in a hammock kind of thinking about about things. And ultimately, I came back to this is sort of being a maker, being an entrepreneur, sort of, sort of feels like it's part of my DNA. And I couldn't really imagine doing something different. I definitely considered maybe it's the right choice to go and, and get a salary W-2 job. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think I've known many entrepreneurs who have sort of alternated between doing their own thing and then taking some time working for another company. There should be zero stigma about that among entrepreneurs. I want to say that. So I sort of was at the decision of like, am I really contemplating in myself giving up on entrepreneurial aspirations? Or is was that coming from a place of just of fear or feeling like I was incapable? And of course, I knew that like deep down, this is something I can do. There, failure is is common. That's something you have to become accustomed to, but try to do your best to learn from it and then go take another swing. And so that's sort of what I had to coach myself into that. It wasn't like it wasn't like I woke up the next day and was ready to hit the ground running on the next thing. But but yeah, it ultimately came down to like rebuilding a little bit of that self-confidence through through realizing like this is this is what we do. Derek, thank you so much for being open and sharing the process. And of course, thank you for keeping going and creating a, a wonderful tool like Savvy Cal. Definitely check it out. So many of us on the team use it and I'm excited to continue to see it grow and flourish. So well done. SavvyCal.com. Tell us where we could find the podcast and the blog and where we could find and connect with you. I am at Derek Reimer on Twitter. DerekReimer.com is where I write occasionally. And then I podcast weekly at the Art of Product podcast. Very nice. Derek, thank you so much. Appreciate you and wishing you and the company all the best. Thanks. This was a blast. Thanks for having me.
All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Derek. A lot of great golden nuggets in that episode. Definitely one that I think I will personally listen back to, especially as I start getting into new spaces, both content and software development in the future. Definitely gonna be stepping into those arenas again, and I'm definitely gonna be taking advantage of all the kinds of things we talked about today with Derek and as far as standing out and creating something that will take an experience that's working and just make it work even better. And that's how the consumer wins, right? I think that's the great thing about uh, the open markets and the ability for us to sort of see what other people are doing and then create something that'll ultimately make it more valuable and serve the audience better, which is really what this is all about, right? Serving the audience better and listening to them and getting feedback, collecting feedback along the way, and then learning how to navigate that feedback, right? Like we talked about not applying every single thing that a person says, oh, I want this or I want that, but choosing the right things and how to approach doing that. Such a great and valuable episode. I hope you enjoy this. And if you've, of course, wanted to check out SavvyCal, you can, S-A-V-V-Y-C-A-L.com. You can check it out. It's a great tool. And I expect that we are gonna be hearing a lot more about SavvyCal as it starts to compete even more and potentially even overtake the popularity of something like Calendly. So it can be tough to get a person to switch old habits, but when you see something like SavvyCal in a space where you've been using a tool over and over again and you just see some very clear advantages, it can definitely work in your favor. So Savvy, S-A-V-V-Y, Cal, C-A-L. Go Bears. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe because we got a lot of great content coming your way, including a follow-up Friday episode where we're going to talk a little bit more about standing out of the crowd and competition. Uh, and it's just going to be you and me on Friday. So in episode 526, look forward to that. Might be available for you already. Thank you so much. Cheers. And as always, Team Flynn for the win. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at smartpassiveincome.com. I'm your host, Pat Flynn. Our senior producer is Sarah Jane Hess. Our series producer is David Grabowski. And our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. The Smart Passive Income Podcast is a production of SPI Media. We'll catch you in the next session. This podcast is supported by Comcast Business. Comcast Business Internet now comes with Security Edge to help protect every device on your network so you can be ready for what's next. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. The Bible says, Be not deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Welcome to Financial Issues, where we align reality with truth. Conservative talk radio you can count on. Financial issues that you need to know. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We will simply apply to government the common sense that we all use in our daily lives. Now, here's your host, Dan Celia. 
Good morning, November 17th, Wednesday. It's great to be here. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we got a little bit of um, earnings reports. It looks like uh, Target, Lowe's, a couple other the retailers uh, showing pretty good numbers. Uh, mostly, they now believe that a lot of these retailers are buying back their own stock. I don't think that would be the case with Lowe's, but uh, a lot of others buying back their own stock, a lot of companies buying back their own stock to uh, help their earnings help their earnings reports look a little bit better. Um, that's nothing new. They've been doing that since 2009, and I suspect that they're going to continue to do that as long as there's cheap money out there for them to do it. The cheap money's not going anywhere. So that, um, you know, that's just giving a false positive to things, but uh, they, for somehow, some reason, some way, believe that it's all going to be okay showing those false positives because they believe that sometimes those false positives or eventually those false positives will turn into real positives. It generally doesn't work, but it has worked in the past, so they're willing to take that risk. Um, We've watched retailers do that over and over again just before they file for bankruptcy. So, And then you have people that are being critical of them because maybe you wouldn't have filed for bankruptcy had you not spent all the money buying your own stock back that is now worthless. So, you know, it is. look, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what is happening in the stores. If you're a retailer... Are you getting feet walking through the floor or on the floor through your store? Are, they do, are you doing that on a regular basis? Are you able to generate traffic? Are you able to generate sales? Is your pricing right? Are people shopping? Is consumer confidence good? That's, that's it. It's not any more than that. Uh, and it is not happening. Now, it may have been happening. It seems as though it was happening a little bit more in October than it is now. I think uh, they are saying, they said last night, I saw a report on retail saying that retailers are saying that there was a surge last year, last month and they suspected early buying. The problem is there was a miscalculation with it. They were thinking if the surge is good now in the month of October, above where it usually is, November is going to be off the charts. And they made these wild, these crazy uh, um assumptions of what retail sales are going to do. And it appears to be just the opposite. October might have, might, we might find out in January that the best month of the quarter was going to be October, not November and December, like it generally is. So uh, of course we won't know that. We'll have to wait and see, but we know that consumer sentiment continues to be an issue. Now, that being said, yesterday, retail sales numbers, of course, at uh, 1.7%. They were expecting, this is ex-autos, they were expecting 1%. We know that. We talked about those numbers yesterday. Import prices up a half a 1%. That means we continue to import inflation. But what we didn't get, what we didn't talk about was industrial production. Now, I said on Monday morning that industrial production is probably one of the most important numbers of the the week for sure. Industrial production or any kind of productivity number is always the most important number. And we see uh, industrial production in October up 1.6%. That is a significant move to the upside. 
I mean significant. That is a 2.9, we'll say 3% move because it was a negative 1.3 for the month of September. Now we get a positive 1.6. That's pretty close to a 3. It's actually 2.9, but a 3% move. Very, very good move in industrial production. That ought to be some reason for a little bit of optimism in the markets. Didn't happen, but maybe today we'll see a little bit of that optimism. The other point of optimism yesterday was NAHB, the National Home Builders Index, for the month of November. That's a November number. We were sitting at 80 in October. We were sitting at 80 in September. Or in, uh, yeah, 80 in September, 80 in October, and 83 came out yesterday. So it is, it finally nudged up a bit. 80 is not good. 83 is not much better. But at least 83 is up. And that's a good sign. Maybe it is October. October, November, December, not traditionally. Um, good months for home builder index. So it's good that it went up. So a bit of, of uh, a good news there yesterday coming out of the markets, the numbers. So we'll see if it holds. Now, you know, retail sales numbers being up all goes almost directly to GDP. So that's very good uh, to see a number that is going to bode well for GDP numbers for fourth quarter. So today, Oh, this morning we should have gotten uh, two housing numbers. Those two housing numbers uh, are building permits and housing starts. Building permits uh, is not always a great indicator of what could happen. But anyway, building permits, they were expecting 1.63 million They got 1.65. This is an October number. It moved up last month. Housing starts. They were expecting 1.58, and they got 1.52, even below where it was in September. That is not good. So we were expecting, uh, I was expecting, I should say, home starts to be down. But I was also expecting building permits to be down. So I guess I would take a position that maybe the housing starts aren't too awfully bad. Actually, it's, it's a pretty, pretty big miss, but at least we have permits up. So they're going to be poised to potentially start more if buyers continue to buy. So that's a good sign. So some good news, bad news there. Uh, really, the good news, though, uh, the bad news probably outweighs the good news because housing starts is a reality. That's a real number. Building permits really doesn't mean anything. It's an administrative function. And though you apply for building permits, and even when you get building permits, whether you start the house or not, no real economic stimulus happens until the house gets started. 
It doesn't get started because of the permits, but the permits indicate that they can start. And that's, that's a good thing, but it's not, you know, it's not anything that we should get overly excited about. But housing starts uh, is a pretty bad thing. So if the markets and confidence is up and people are spending, <clears throat> then housing starts should have been up. So I guess November number is going to be a much more telling number. So that's what's happening today and what a little bit of what's happened uh, yesterday after we went off the air or didn't, or we, the numbers came out before that, but we didn't talk about them. So uh, tom- tomorrow we, we don't have anything really uh, dramatic happening except for our number that's coming out at 10 o'clock in the morning tomorrow. And that's uh, leading economic indicators. It's not one that I talk about much, but it's one that I watch closely and that's coming out. So I, by the looks of what we've already had, there's a good possibility that leading economic indicators might have nudged up um, in October. We'll find out tomorrow at 10 o'clock. That would be another good number. All right, 610-363-1110. Financial Issues, I'm Dan Celia. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia. <clears throat> I don't know how many of you saw uh, the testimony yesterday as the Secretary of Homeland Security was being grilled by um, Tate Cruz. Man, it was uh, it was really it was kind of fun to watch. Tate Cruz was uh, just wicked. Um, doing a great, but did a great, great job in holding, well, you, you, attempting to hold their feet to the fire. Um, it was, it, you know, it was a great, great commentary uh, between, the, well, there wasn't anything that the uh, Homeland Security Secretary, extremely frustrated, uh, obviously, and couldn't answer one question. I don't think he did answer one, maybe one. Um, and, it was really, really, and, and all I could think about, and it's hard to, it's hard not to, it's hard not to. All I could think about, if that had only been President Trump, oh my gosh. I mean, it's unbelievable, really. It's, it's uh, just another shameful, shameful uh, move that the, uh, the state-run propaganda machine that's, that people call the media uh, is it, they would be all over this. They were all over this. And they'd, they'd be going nuts over what Ted Cruz uh, was talking about because it's all true. He had pictures of it. Um, and they would, they'd be going crazy over it. They'd be, they'd be trying to impeach Trump again. And it is just absolutely, and I love it. I love it. And I just hope, I just hope, that it doesn't stop. I think one of the greatest things we could have, it's a gift. It is a gift from heaven that the lame street media doesn't report it and that the far left doesn't change because they've learned nothing from Virginia, thank God. 
They've learned nothing. They continue to show how pathetic they are, how they don't care a lick about America, how they don't care about American workers, how they don't care about human rights, or they wouldn't be locking children in in cages, as Ted Cruz said, that he had pictures of. Um, they, they, would, they wouldn't be allowing 2 million people to cross the border, not to mention all the ones that got away. They wouldn't be allowing that this year. They would be caring a little bit about vetting out the drug dealers and the traffickers and the rapists and the child molesters. As Ted Cruz pointed out, all these things going on, he point blank asked him how many children have been molested, how many uh, women have been raped. He asked them the question. Of course, they didn't have any answers. They didn't know anything. Of course, you know, he, he was dumbfounded that they even were, that he was even asking those questions. And, you know, but to point a spotlight, this is a spotlight on this administration, yes, but it is a bigger spotlight on the far left, the radical left, the progressives, or maybe just the plain old Democrats. And there are millions and millions and millions of Democrats waking up every day to the insanity of the party that they used to support. There are going to be tens of thousands of Democrats that will either register as independents or Republicans and won't be voting for this lunacy. There are tens of thousands of Democrats that are going to want to get their country back. Tens of thousands already want to get their school systems back, which is the easiest thing in the world to get back. All they have to do is pull their kids out of school. Anybody that is sending their children to school, I shouldn't say this because I'm going to get all the hate mail. Anybody sending their children to school and then complains has no right to complain. You lose your right to complain when you're complicit. I know some people say, well, we have to. Look, find a way. But everybody's got to pull their kids out of school. Let's get back to classical education. Let's get back. You know what? You got a reader. It's called the Bible. You can you can teach from that almost at any age, as the uh, our forefathers did, as the pilgrims did. But you got we got to get back to reading, writing, arithmetic, and not indoctrination. The school, the teachers' unions, they got to get back to representing teachers, and teachers got to get back to teaching what the local school district tells them to teach. End of story. They're not there to set curriculum. I don't think a teacher's union was designed to dictate what teachers were going to teach. That's not the deal. If they want to have a teacher's union to represent the rank and file, that's fine. That's fine. Do it. But don't dictate what the rank and file have to teach. And the teachers ought ought not be dictating to parents what they have to teach. That needs to be done on the local level at the school district, not from the state, not from the federal government, the local level at the school district, from the local school boards. One of the most liberal counties outside of the city of Philadelphia, a wealthy county, just changed their entire school board 
on the last election. There were four people that they said would never get in that needed to get in that got in. Change the county. It's going to change the curriculum. It's going to change, but it is, you know, we've got to threaten to pull our kids out. We got to get out of there. We got to get out of elementary school, middle school, high school, and colleges. Higher education is pathetic as well. All got to go. All you got to do is tell your kids, hey, guess what? You're going to college, you can go online. Let me get you to Liberty's website or whatever. There are great schools out there. The idea that we're paying $50,000 a year to have our kids indoctrinated and brainwashed so they can goose step behind some uh, union leader or some radical left politician is lunacy. And then we're going to wake up one day and say, I don't know what happened. Really? We're going to be a country without borders if we don't wake up. If we're a country without borders, we're no longer a country. We're just a landmass in the, in the North American continent. That's all. We're not a country. We're just some big, wide, vast piece of land. We sit back and watch it happen. We have people that refuse to look at real media, if there is any, other than FISM News and a few others. I mean, I, there's people that aren't watching that every day, every night. That's okay. If you're not watching it every night, I hope you're doing the next best alternative, and that's not watching anything. When will... Everybody reach and desire the truth. When? When will everybody get sick and tired of the lies and the deception? When you hear a secretary of tra uh, transportation making building bridges a racial issue and a racism concern, we really have a problem. And there's people that are listening to that absolute garbage and believing it. If they want to take, if they, I'll tell you what's racism is genocide of the inner cities. The black on black murder, that's racism. Because you're doing, the Democrats are doing nothing about it. They're moving it on to every other area of our society, this racism charge. Why the poor keep getting poorer and the unemployed keeps growing. While that's going on, they're screaming racism. When Hispanics, Asians, and African Americans cannot get jobs, when the poverty rate is going up every month, like it did for eight years during the Obama administration, it came screaming down during the Trump administration. It is now going screaming up and it's growing dramatically because of all the illegal immigrants that are getting bussed to those cities that they don't care about. Who is complaining 
about the tent cities in LA? Anybody? Is the Hollywood elites complaining? Of course not. They don't live there. They don't care about that. They don't care a lick about that. Are the elites in Detroit or Chicago or Philadelphia or New York, do they care about the crime and the poverty and what is going on in the inner cities? For that matter, for that matter, do the politicians? No, they don't care. They talk about it two months before their reelection and because they believe all those people are dumb and they're going to believe everything they say and they're going to reelect them because the next time they get reelected, they're going to fix everything. And that next time they get reelected goes on literally for 40 years and nothing changes. Why? Because if they don't keep them down in the gutter, they won't have any power over them. That is racism. And that is the Democratic Party. So let's not be appalled when we watch what Ted Cruz is doing and be appalled at the no answers and what is going on when we're exposed to it because of Ted Cruz. We need to be joyful that it's being exposed and we need to hope that it never gets fixed because there won't be any Democratic Party soon as the state of Virginia has already proven. Oh, we're nobody's going to turn a blue state like Virginia. Mm-hmm. Why is that happening? Because people are getting smart and they're sick and tired. Speaking of poverty and problems and the kingdom, we're going to be right back. We have John Sparks with us from India Partners. We want to get an update. We'll be back. Stay with us. When you hear about opioid overdoses, you probably don't realize half of the nation's overdoses happen in the exact same spot. It's happening right at home. Georgians are accidentally dying in their own homes because people don't understand the dangers of taking an Oxy or Perk for sleep, stress, or with a glass of alcohol. Learn how to protect your family from opioid overdose at opioidresponse.info. This message is brought to you by Georgia DBHDD. At Georgia Power, we're investing in infrastructure to ensure a more resilient power grid creating a balanced mix of hydro, solar, and nuclear energy, all while installing high-speed EV charging stations across the state and keeping your bill well below the national average. Because we know that the carbon-free energy Georgia needs to prosper tomorrow will come from the tireless energy we put in our communities today. Georgia Power. Powering tomorrow. Today. Welcome back, Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia. It's great to be here. Um, you know, we have been talking about for the last two days the India Partners Catalog, and I have been sharing with everybody that uh, on Thanksgiving Day, my wife and I will sit with each one of our grandchildren in front of the computer, and we will. Uh, we did this uh, last year, and 
we will let each one of them by themselves uh, without the other ones calling out, telling them what to do um, and pick something as we explain what it's for and all that. We get it. We get to have a teachable moment for what God would have us to do. And this is why we're doing it. It's a wonderful thing. And then we will go through all eight of them. And I, I just say Thanksgiving if you have any children around you, your grandchildren or your, or your own small children, what a way to give thanks to God for all that he has blessed you with and um, to give back to those that are severely impoverished and in great need. And so I hope you will do that. You can do it from our website. You can click on India Partners uh, logo there on our website, and you can do that. And we have um, with us... John Sparks, president of India Partners, and um, we have been working with John for a number of years, and and uh, we are so, so thankful that John has allowed us an opportunity to come alongside them as they've come alongside us to um, really uh, share this work and to be able to help people, uh, our listeners, to give um to the to the work of of the kingdom and the great commission and to um in the name of Christ deliver um these things. John, welcome. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Celia, for allowing us to uh, join with you and to partner with you. Mm. And I just want to tell your listeners that he tells the truth. He actually okay. joined India Partners by giving before he started with giving to India Partners and supporting the ministry. Uh, before ever saying, hey, can we help you out and uh, tell your story to others? And so uh, he really does. He's a, he's a big supporter of us with his own uh, finances, not just uh, on the radio. So just let the listeners know that this is the real, the real stuff that uh, Mr. Silly is talking about. John, I appreciate you saying that because I, uh, Yvonne and I really believe that you know, we, we need, I mean, we, we were supporting before, but I don't tell anybody uh, on the radio and, and beg them and ask them to support one of, the, one of our partners that are on our platform as we do kingdom work together, united with other ministries uh, to do something that Yvonne and I don't do. And um, it is very important to us that we, we do that. Um, and you, you, it is, it is uh, good for people to hear that, you know, um, we've been uh, doing this for a while and we always will. We love the ministry and we love the work. And, you know, I think we are called to reach the ends of the earth. And we are doing things to reach our communities through pregnancy centers. And we're doing things to reach the ends of the earth and the severely impoverished. So I appreciate that. And we are, we are doing that. And, and, um, I, I hope everybody will join because we need to do that. You know, we're instruments of Christ. And if we're going to be instruments of God, then we've got to be willing to uh, serve and be instruments. And uh, that's what we're asking you to do for India Partners. Tell us, John, um, how it's going there. But I, I'd, I'd love for you to tell us, uh, just share with everybody the... the um, opening this is, the opportunity it is to open ears, eyes, and hearts to Christ. And, and uh, you said this is kingdom work, and 
Yes. You know, sometimes we don't see those connections. And so I was on a call with one of our partners and they were telling about their tailoring school. So they're taking these women who uh, would otherwise have to go out into uh, some field and plant rice or harvest rice and teaching them how to be a tailor and to stitch clothing so they can stay home and be with their children. And it's a six month course that they're taking these women through. And they said at the end of the course, they had nine baptisms. Oh, wow. So here's women who, who have no knowledge of Christ. They come in for this training. They take them through scripture, but at the same time, they're giving them a skill that they can use and support their family and take care of their children and but at the end in their graduation they also have a baptism service so these are women who've been discipled who've been trained uh and six months of course they haven't just been given you know a tract they've been taken through scriptures and they're taught to pray and they're taught about jesus for six months uh then they uh say i will follow after jesus so even a tailoring school this is not you know, vacation Bible school or helping churches. This is a tailoring school is bringing people to Christ. And mm-hmm. it's amazing thing. The churches there are growing. Uh, and so it's uh, the churches, for some reason, as people came through this pandemic, as they suffered through these things, uh, people say, uh, I, have, I have to know about my eternity. And so the message of Jesus talks about eternal life. And so it's just these things coming together. And so whether it's a goat or a chicken or a Bible, all of them are working together uh, to accomplish the kingdom purpose. And those things are the kinds of things we talk about, folks, in the catalog. You know, goats, chickens, Bibles. Um, there's, so, there's so many things that will change, change a life for eternity and change a village uh, because, you know, uh, the Bible talks about teaching and uh, we, there's nothing better than to teach people um, how to support themselves. And these are people that are willing to learn, right, and will, willing to work, uh, but they don't know where to begin and they don't have the resources to do it. And, and uh, it, cha- it can change. I, this, is, this is what happened in South Korea. I mean, this is mm. what happens— in China, millions of underground churches in China, uh, the largest mm. church in the world, of course, South Korea. Uh, there were no Christians there, not too many years ago. I mean, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and, you know, we, this is how it works, little by little and one by one. And, and uh, you all, Financial Issues listeners, you are mm-hmm. playing such a huge role in this. Such an amazing thing. Is that we're, we're planning. We're, we're planning for next year, and we're looking at villages that uh, this past year we've brought water in, or we came in with this COVID food relief, and now we're going to come back to those same villages. And because we've been uh, spreading the gospel, we're going to come in and put we call them community centers. Uh, we put in a small building uh, that we can come and we can do training in, we can do vacation Bible school in, and we can hold church in this building. And so we're able to, uh, the, the money that was given last year for water, the money that was given last year for COVID relief, next year uh, will be the villages that we'll be going back into and discipling and building up and 
preparing the soil for this fertile seed of uh, the gospel so that people will come to Christ in these places. Yeah, that's that's amazing. What a what a great thing, you know. And and I imagine when you go back to the village, they're so much more receptive and ready to learn more. And uh, you know, it's amazing how uh, the Holy Spirit works and moves and softens hearts through uh, a a food package that uh, people people know they don't know Jesus yet, but they understand that this God is is. Uh, uh, God's, this God is, has people that are uh, working for, for them. And, you know, it is amazing, and, and it is a great way for us here to give thanks this Thanksgiving by, by sharing uh, what we have. And uh, maybe you can only, you know, uh, do a few dollars for a Bible, but I think it's great that if we can sit around and, and share with our family members how important it is to do that. It's a wonderful thing. John, um, is, is it going okay? I mean, are you, are you people, I, I know that you've shared with me some of the gifts that have been made and some of the things people are doing, but I suspect we, we still have a lot of work to do yet um, this, this year to, to really uh, get as much done as we can. Yes, it's uh, some wonderful, wonderful listeners. Uh, they're replying with uh you know, when we send the, the copy of the catalog out and they're replying with that, uh, they're replying uh, online. And we appreciate it when people come online and, and do that way, because that way uh, we know you're a Dan Celia listener and, and maybe even put a note in there uh, that you're a Dan Celia listener that's uh, very important to us. And uh, as these things happen, uh, yes, people are responding uh, and the work is going. And you can't believe it. It allows us to expand what we're doing there. We can sort of uh, exercise a little extra faith and say, you know, Dan is making our name known all over the United States. We can uh, take these extra steps in these new villages and uh, support these pastors getting into these new places. So as we do these things, we will be successful. Mm. What an impact, uh, folks, you're having. And I, 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 I love that, and I appreciate you say, sharing that, John, because it, just give, it should be a source of such encouragement to our listeners. You know, in the midst of all the garbage that's going on, in the midst of our struggles, our lockdowns, and all the things that we've gone through, um, what we've managed to do in a year or two and, and uh, what we have yet to do is going to do amazing work for the kingdom. And I appreciate all of you that have done it. I hope you'll go to India Partners today. You can go to our website and click. You can email uh, catalog at indiapartners.org if you want to receive an actual catalog. But try to do it online. Get get to our site and chat. Um, we would appreciate it. John, thank you so much for the work that you do for the kingdom. We appreciate it. The opinions and recommendations expressed by Dan are his own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of this station or any of the show's sponsors. Folks, you know, it is, it is such an important ministry, and I hope that you, you all will go to the website, uh, our financialissues.org website, and click on India Partners. And, you know, 
John was kind enough to to say that um, it, it's it's a little bit of a unique thing for anybody that does any kind of advertising or sponsorship or anything like that. But <clears throat> they're not, you know, we we look at the people that we work with as as uh, friends and um, you know partners in the kingdom work that we're doing, and um, you know we we support everything that you hear, we, Yvonne and I, um, we do, uh, I know for preborn and India partners, financial issues, the ministry has sent uh, support as well, a significant amount of support um, from the ministry, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us personally, Yvonne and I. And um, we, these are, these are our ministry that we support. We, we all know that, you know, we can't support everything. We support the ministries that, that we certainly uh, care about, but you know, we, we have to pick and choose and no better way to pick and choose than to, to know that these are ministries that uh, love uh, the Lord with all their heart and all their might and all their strength, all their wisdom, everything they have uh, is for the Lord. And, we we are supporting those kinds of ministries. Uh, they have been vetted. Financials have been looked at, looked at, um, and you know, India Partners is a little bit unique in that it's called India Partners for a reason. They're able to continue to do the work they do because they partner with um, in-country ministries that are going out for them. And these are Christian, sometimes they're only a group of two or three pastors, but they are groups that are going out uh, for the benefit of, of, of the kingdom with the resources that India Partners provides through the resources that we provide. So we are so grateful, and it is an amazing, it is an amazing work, and it is a good feeling to know that we are saving the lives of babies I had about an hour-long conversation yesterday afternoon with Dan Steiner from Preborn. And, you know, Dan is always so gracious and just can't, always so grateful and thankful to all of you and to the Financial Issues listeners. Um, he, he's, we were kidding because he said, I said, now you know how I feel because I go, wherever I go, people say thank you for Preborn. Thank you for these, this ministry and that we know about it, we support it. And, and Dan says, wherever he goes, he says, we're so thankful to financial issues that we found you, you know? So, um, it, it is just such a great, great partnership. And, um, the, the Dan and I, uh, our, our, uh, meeting and our partnership was so providential, uh, long story, but very providential. And, uh, we knew that we both knew that when, when we, the very first time we met, we first knew that before we were working together and we, and we knew there was, uh, there was going to be a mighty work of God be, uh, that was going to be done because of that meeting, uh, because it was really providential. And, uh, that's exactly what has happened. You know, it's exactly what has happened. And we're so excited about all of our partnerships, India partners, the same, uh, you know, whatever, whoever it is, Liberty Council, Samaritan Ministries, um, told me after, our last interview, the new president <clears throat> said to me, you know, we're so grateful for, 
financial issues and what you've managed to do um, in, in teaching people to get with God's plan for healthcare. So we, you know, we're doing so many different things, but we're limiting, we're doing uh, just, just uh, a minimal, just what we can do. Um, we're not, every week we get offers every single week. Can we be on your website? Can we have a presence? Can you do this? Can you promote that? Will you do this? How much do you want? You know, all of these things, we get it all the time and every week, every week, literally. And, you know, uh, we, we don't, we don't do any, we don't do any of it. Number one, I don't have time to vet it all out. Number two, uh, we're doing all that we can handle. We would love to be able to do more, but we can't. And, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, like I said, reaching the ends of the earth as we are called to do with the gospel. You know, you think about that class, that sewing school class, nine women accepting Christ and being baptized. Now we say, oh, nine. I hope we don't say, oh, nine. That's not much. That's, you know, that's all the angels in heaven rejoicing over one. There's nine. And you multiply that nine because those nine are going to leave nine others. And those 18, those uh, 18 are going to lead another 18. And on and on it's going to go and it's going to continue to multiply. And this is exactly what happened in South Korea. It's why it's the largest church in the world. And why China, millions and millions of Christians underground in China. Now in India, they don't have to be underground. It's illegal to evangelize, but it's not illegal to be a Christian. And it's not illegal to go to church and to have a church in your village. It's just illegal to evangelize. And they are severely persecuted, yes. And vast majority of the Christians in India that are persecuted, they live in a village. The poor, the poor people live in a village in the same village of the Muslims, because the Muslim, the Muslim people are very persecuted. So they have that in common, and they get along fine, and they live together. And uh, because it's, you know, they're not, they know what it's like to be persecuted. They're not going to persecute each other. And it, it is a unique and odd situation, but maybe these Christians that are living with the Muslims will minister to the Muslims, not just the Hindis. So um, it is, it is amazing. It is an amazing work. And I believe it's going to be an amazing country someday. I think India is going to be a change because of what you're doing. I mean, we might not live to see it, but it's going to be, you're starting it and we'll see, we'll, we'll see someday when we get to glory. All right. Six ten three six three eleven ten. Let me at least get one call in here. Let me go to Sam. Sam's calling us from Texas. Hi, Sam. Hi, Dan. Good morning to you. Good morning, Sam. I have a, just a question. I have two Roth IRAs. One I started, I didn't, it was just offered through my work. And then I started listening to you, and I started one with Timothy. Uh-huh. And I would, I would like to combine the two. I don't know how to do that. The other one, okay. I know they're not. Christian company, so I just had them just kind of start doing it only as a cash thing. But I would like to move that to the Timothy if that's possible. It's definitely possible. I mean, it's allowable. You can do that. It's a matter Uh of are you still working for that company where the other Roth is? The for the you still work there? Yes, I do. Yeah. So then you would have to ask them. Uh, there, um, you know, are, how old are you, Sam? 
Are you over 55? Um, fixing to be 56, yes. Okay. So generally, companies after 55, if not 55, 59 and a half, they'll let you move that to another IRA, but they might not. So you, you might have to wait a few more years. So you need to ask human resources if you can roll that out of there. Uh, and if you can't, then you just have to, you know, keep, keep doing what you're doing and, and leave it. But it's whenever they say you can, if they say at 59 and a half, we let you do whatever you want with it. Um, then, then you can wait a few years and you'll be able to move it. Uh, but I think you now you are, do they match anything that you put in? No, they don't do nothing. It's just something they offered that okay. I could start putting in there. And all they did was just take it out of the check and send okay. it to them. Oh yeah. I bet you'll be able to roll that over. That won't be a problem at all. So all you'll have to do is just uh, process a rollover and you can do that through Timothy, and it'll and and it'll, though Timothy will help walk you through it, and it'll it'll roll over to them. So um, they'll what'll happen is wherever it's in now, they will cash it out. You know, it'll it'll go to cash, and then you'll roll over that amount to Timothy, and you can reinvest it. And you should do that. You should have it in one place. That makes that makes good sense. Yeah, they're both Roth, and I just kind of wanted to put it all into the one so it could all start working for God's yeah. glory. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a great plan, and you'll be able to do it, I'm sure, Sam. Well, thank you, and thank you so much for your ministry, Dan. You're welcome, Sam. Thanks for calling, and I, I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, great stuff. I'm, I, You know, I appreciate that, and um, it is – you know, when folks, when you have various IRA over the years, <coughs> we oftentimes, where well, I worked for a company, I had a 401k, it's still with them. I've been out of there for 20 years. And then I worked for another company and I left there after 10 years and I got one, I got a 401k over there. Now I got a new 401k, I'm ready to retire, I got to do something, you know, and then I opened my own IRA account and I have that. And you, you have all these accounts, all of them. So as long as they're like accounts, so if it's a 401k that's traditional, then that's equivalent to an IRA that's traditional. Traditional. If it's a Roth, then it's traditional to a Roth IRA. As long as you move them from Roth to Roth and traditional to tr- traditional, you can, you can roll them all together in one place, which you're going to do anyway someday when you retire. Better to do it now. Get them all in one place. Um, and... If your company allows you to move it, if they're not matching and there's no reason for you to be there, especially, good thing to do. So you ought to do it. We'll get back to phone, 610-363-1110. Financial issues, stay with me. we got a lot of other uh, things that i got to talk about here as we uh, talk a little bit about the economy right after the news when we get back. We'll do that. Stay with us, 610-363-1110. We'll be back. We will never compromise our principles and standards. We will never give away our freedom. We will never abandon our belief in God. Thank you for joining us. This has been an FISM production. 
When you hear about opioid overdoses, you probably don't realize half of the nation's overdoses happen in the exact same spot. It's happening right at home. Georgians are accidentally dying in their own homes because people don't understand the dangers of taking an Oxy or Perk for sleep, stress, or with a glass of alcohol. Learn how to protect your family from opioid overdose at opioidresponse.info. This message is brought to you by Georgia DBHDD. At Georgia Power, we're investing in infrastructure to ensure a more resilient power grid creating a balanced mix of hydro, solar, and nuclear energy, all while installing high-speed EV charging stations across the state and keeping your bill well below the national average. Because we know that the carbon-free energy Georgia needs to prosper tomorrow will come from the tireless energy we put in our communities today. Georgia Power, powering tomorrow, today. We in America should be grateful to God for the blessings he's given us. Don't let anyone tell you that America's best days are behind her. We have got to fight for this nation because I believe with all my heart this nation is in fact one nation under God. Welcome back to Financial Issues. I'm Dan Sirian. It's great to be here. Uh, it is the top of the hour. We have our news break. Sam Case here. Uh, listen, before we go to Sam Case, you remember I was talking about Ted Cruz. I don't know if you saw this. Go to C-SPAN or somewhere and watch it. It's amazing testimony yesterday. Here's just a little snippet of uh, Ted Cruz talking to the Secretary of Homeland Security, talking to him, drilling him. Listen to this or watch it. How many women have been sexually assaulted being trafficked into this country in 2021? Senator, can I wait a minute. Hold, hold on. Can no we start that over? That what we how many women have been sexually assaulted being trafficked into this country in 2021? Senator, I have no ability to determine uh, how many. Okay, you don't know. So you didn't try to find out? Have been um, sexually assaulted in Mexico along the migratory. All right. How about this? How many children have been sexually assaulted by traffickers or other people when they were coming in illegally? I do not have that data. Okay, so you don't know that either. So what you just saw right there was Secretary Mayorkas, and he was testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And, man, he just he had a really bad day because Ted Cruz <laughs> went into full lawyer mode there. So right there you just saw him ask about how many children and women were sexually assaulted on their way to the U.S. And, by golly, he just didn't have the answer to that. And that was a pattern. Mayorkas didn't really have an answer to just about anything. I think he only gave one number uh, throughout that whole exchange. He also didn't have the answer for how many COVID-positive illegal immigrants have been released into the country uh, or even how many people with criminal convictions have been in the country. Uh, so he just really didn't come all that prepared. A fascinating exchange was uh, Senator Cruz pressed Mayorkas on the total number of children in the, quote, Biden cages, as uh, Cruz calls them. Mayorkas, of course, as I said, didn't have that number, rather spent most of his time disputing the term Cage, which, of course, Cruz was using as a reference to a Democratic talking point that was made throughout the Trump administration that the Border Patrol was uh, separating kids from their parents uh, and putting them in cages. And that has really become the Biden policy going forward. Uh, it makes Trump's policy look like nothing, honestly. Uh, and some of the images are just horrifying. And at one point, Cruz actually just pulled up a giant poster board uh, with the kids inside those facilities and just said, look at it. These are the kids yeah. in the cages. 
you can dispute it all you want, but this is what it looks like. Uh, it really is something else. We'll be covering that in more detail on tonight's show and also be going into a dispute that uh, Mayorkas and Mike Lee got into as well. Fascinating stuff. Like I said, just a horrible day uh, for Mayorkas. I bet he, he wanted to go home and go to bed early after that. But Well, that- you know what? It's, it was a horrible day. It was a horrible day and an indictment, again, to the administration, to their policies on the border, to everything that um, has happened and transpired. This is a, this was a, it was such an indictment against the administration. And it is, nothing's going to be done about it. You know, so tonight you'll report it on the news and nobody else is going to report any of this other than here's Ted Cruz being a lunatic and they'll play something, um, you know, that is, not even remotely like accurate. Ten seconds of him yelling at him. And you right, won't, You exactly. won't get the full context. I exactly. do encourage people to watch it, like you said, on C-SPAN. I think it's on his Twitter account as well. What it really does, I think, is it, it rips open the idea that open borders is kind. Uh, because Ted Cruz just exposes again and again all the different ways an open border policy invites suffering, both to the people trying to come here as they're essentially being human trafficked up to uh, the U.S., as well as to uh, the people in America who are exposed to, uh, if, if a criminal element gets through the border, they're exposed to that in their uh, neighborhood as well. So he really just blows that to bits, that this is a, a kind policy, which is what uh, many on the left seem to think it is. And if you dig deep, as Cruz did, it just really isn't that as well. It's the epitome of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, meanwhile, yeah. this is another... F- This is another fascinating story we will be looking at. Uh, Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee released a whistleblower email yesterday revealing, guess what? The FBI is, in fact, using counterterrorism tactics to investigate threats on school board officials. Uh, We thought Merrick Garland said that that wasn't happening, but it looks like it is. This email shows that this is actually in direct response to Merrick Garland's memo to the FBI to crack down on school board officials, uh, not school board officials, uh, parents, angry with school boards uh, at the urging of the National School Board Association. Representative uh, Jim Jordan called out Garland's testimony before the committee into question as a result of the email saying Garland willfully misled the committee by saying he wouldn't consider parents complaining at school board meetings as domestic terrorists. So crazy story there and uh, something else that we'll be covering tonight on the news as well. Uh, Just a couple other headlines that we'll be getting to in international news. A Chinese tennis player is reportedly missing after recently making sexual assault allegations against a former top communist official. So they pulled the classic communist move of disappearing someone uh, because she dared to challenge the leadership in China. Scary story, interesting story as well. Meanwhile, back to Virginia, speaking of uh, school boards, a Virginia teacher reached a settlement with a school board district over his suspension for refusing to follow transgender policies, allowing him to return to the classroom. So that's a good news for him, but this policy is just really getting out of control. I heard of a story recently that a, I believe the student was on a football team who he texted someone saying that he only thinks there's two uh, genders, and he was kicked off a football team for a game for, for saying something like that. So this is getting out of control. And also the U.N. released a plan to address world hunger after Elon Musk said he would donate $6 billion to the agency if it revealed his plan. So we'll be talking about that as well. Well, good stuff. I hope you're going to watch tonight. Uh, going to be a compelling uh, news half hour. Go to Financial Issues, FISM.TV, FISM.TV. 
news. This is Craig we'll right Hallgard with your financial issues egg update for November 17th. Well, corn futures were lower on Tuesday as we saw profit-taking on the heels of the recent move higher. We did see the U.S. interior basis in corn strengthening as processors improved their bids to buy in corn through January. Looking at South America, we see the corn weather forecast holding steady and beneficial for production. From a growing condition standpoint, the major corn growing areas of Brazil and Argentina are in significantly better condition than they were a year ago. At the close, the December futures were 5.5 cents lower, selling at $5.71 per bushel. Soybeans traded both sides before closing lower. The past couple of sessions have been driven by a soybean meal market that's been really on fire. Yesterday, however, saw that soybean meal rally pause and that put pressure on soybean prices. With harvest in this nation wrapping up, all eyes are shifting to South America. In Brazil, growing conditions remain favorable for a record soybean crop. The only exception to this is Brazil's southern tip, which is experiencing some dryness. At the close, the January soybean futures were six cents lower ending the day at $12.51 and a quarter cents. After seeing life of contract highs in all three wheat complexes recently, yesterday saw the wheat market retrace a portion of those gains. In spite of yesterday's sell-off, the fact remains that here in the U.S., wheat supplies are at their lowest level in 14 years, with no changes expected through the winter. At the close, Minneapolis December futures were 11.5 cents lower, at $10.15 a bushel. Kansas City was down 15 and a quarter, closing at 8.20 and three quarters. And Chicago futures dropped by 16 cents as they closed at $8.10 and a quarter cents. Cotton futures worked towards the top end of their recent trading range. And at the close, we had March futures 49 points higher, settling at 115.13. Livestock futures were mixed. At the close, January feeder cattle were 80 cents higher, settling at $159.27.5 per hundred. February live cattle dropped by 22.5 cents as they closed at $136.10 per hundred. And February lean hog futures had a very impressive performance. They finished the day $2.20 higher, closing at $83.37.5 per hundred. Class 3 milk futures are approaching the double bottom that was made back in September. At the close, we had December futures down 28 points as they settled at 17.21. Meat cutout values were all lower to uh, in yesterday's trade. Choice box beef ended the day a dollar and seven cents lower, closing at 282.13. Select boxes dropped by 69 cents as they settled at 266.13. 59. And pork carcass cutout values also retreated. They were a dollar and 47 cents lower for the day, ending the session at $92.46 per hundredweight. This has been Craig Haugard with your Financial Issues Egg Update. We'll be right back with more financial issues after this. Welcome back, Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia. It is great to be here. 610-363-1110. Man, so much going on. I, I, I know you caught a little bit of that news, and I hope you'll catch the program tonight. Uh, make sure you go to uh, FISM.TV, uh, and you can watch live at 7 o'clock. Our evening news, every evening at 7 o'clock. And uh, we're really excited about uh, some of the things that are going on. And, um, you, you know, if you watch it, if you've seen it, if you liked it, man, would you call in and tell tell people? We sure would appreciate it. You can call in. We'll we'll get you on the air, and you can say you know say what's on your mind. But um, 
it, we, we would love to hear from you. But it is, uh, we're really, really excited. And, um, you know, I think uh, if you didn't, you're not going to see the Ted Cruz um, stuff in the real context in which it was done. You're not, you're not going to see that anywhere else. And um, I, I, I'm excited that we're going we're gonna to cover that tonight. So I hope you'll get a, get a look at that. FISM.TV. You can watch it at 7 o'clock. You can go to Roku. Uh, download the channel, FISM. You can download the channel on Roku or Amazon, and you can watch it tonight and every night, 7 o'clock Eastern Time, 6 o'clock Central Time. Real evening news. Nothing but truth. Nothing but the truth. So uh, hopefully you will you will do that and uh, really get in the habit of that. Get in the habit of every night. Remember your parents, your grandparents watching the evening news every night? Uh, well, it's back. And sure hope that you'll take advantage of that. Take a look at it. All right. Well, there's a lot going on. You know, we, we look at this political crisis at the border. You know, all of these things, every one of these things are affecting the economy and they're going to continue to affect the economy in a negative way. We cannot support we cannot support 2 million illegal immigrants that came in just this year. More are going to continue to flow. We can't support it from a protection and against the crime situation and aspect of it. So many of these people are coming in here by bringing them, bringing them in by the, the cartel, the drug cartels using them to be uh, laborers for them in the drug uh, dispensing industry, opioids already on the rise, overdoses on the rise, murder rates dramatically on the rise, shootings on the rise, crime is off the charts, um, sexual assaults on the rise. Uh, just a woman this week walking her dog in Central Park where she's been walking her dog for years, uh, sexually assaulted. Uh, then the same person sexually assaulted somebody else an hour later. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we're going to be living with every single day. It's out of control. And I just want to make sure that every single assault, every single tent city, every single statistic of homeless rates going up and crime going up and murder rate going up and defunding police going up and on and on it goes. Remember, there is only one administration that you can indict for that. There is not a leftist on the face of this earth that can say with any kind of sense or honesty that this isn't all Biden and Trump was far better. At least we had a thriving economy, which is an understatement. It was the best economy in the history of the nation. <clears throat> minority populations were working. They were coming out of poverty. The poverty rate was going down. Does it get any better than that? We had a president that cared about America and American workers cared about lower taxes and lower regulation. I mean, wh how, how does it get better? Cares about free trade. <clears throat> doesn't care a lick about China. Doesn't care a lick about any other country for that matter, whether it's a communist regime or not cared about America. 
That's great, China. What can you do for us? That's what he cared about. But that's all gone. And now we have this uh, leftist ideology on steroids permeating our schools, our elementary schools, our kindergartens, our high schools, our, our colleges, permeating it. We have the FBI involved in politicizing and permeating that as well. The FBI needs to be shut down and revamped, closed. They're not doing anything anyway. Nobody's going to ever hold anybody accountable. They need to be shut down. Yeah, we'll lose a lot of good people. That is true. We will. There's a lot of good people. Sometimes that has to be, there has to be collateral damage. And that's part of the collateral damage that needs to happen to fix that organization. It is absolutely pathetic. I don't know why anybody would want to work for him that is there, that is good. You know, maybe they're living out a lifelong dream, which is really sad that they've got to get caught up in it because there are a lot of good people. But the good people need to go good, be good somewhere else. Maybe they're going to have to go back, go on the police force or go where they're, go where they're needed or go where they're not going to be politicized and they can do the work of uh, enforcing law. You know, the next president that runs for office, all he's got to do is run on a law and order. That's all he got to do. Run on law and order. Run on um, America first and law and order. That's all. You don't have to do anything else. There, there will be no need for, to call out anybody. There's not going to be any need. They do it to themselves every single day, like we saw last night and yesterday with, with Ted Cruz. They're, they're calling themselves out. They're indicting themselves over and over and over again. They keep doing it every day, every day. They're losing their base every day. They're losing, I don't know, maybe it's 10 people. Maybe it's 10,000 people. But every day, they're losing part of their base. And the part of their base every day, the further they drive America in the ground, is going to want to turn America back around again so that they can enjoy a little bit of prosperity. They're going to want to turn it around. So not only are they losing their base, but their base that they're losing is not going to go away. The base that they're losing is going to vote. They're going to get involved. And we're going to see that happening. We're going to see that happening. In large numbers. Man, it is just amazing what is going on. And I tell you, I think what what the Lord is doing is he's giving the people over, sound familiar, to what their itching ears and the desires of their hearts are. He is beginning to give them all over. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say that he is giving them over so much that the blindness and the scales have are thicker than ever and they're not going to change so the self-destruction can continue. God didn't have to come down and uh, lift his hand and do something uh, miraculous to change all this. All he had to do was keep and has to do is keep giving them over to themselves and to their own depravity. Give the teachers unions over to what they want. Give, give it to them. Give them over to it. There won't be any teachers union. 
sad to say the noble profession of teaching is going by way of so many other professions that are becoming more and more disgraceful. Yes, there's going to be collateral damage. We're going to lose the good teachers, the teachers that want to just teach. They want to, they want to help children learn and, and form a, a good intellect. But unfortunately, that's going to have to be a part of the collateral damage. I'll tell you, it is going to be a real interesting next six months leading up to these midterm elections. The, the Democrats and the far left knows that they have a very short time period that they got to make things happen. And they are going to be scrambling so much, but they continue the talking points that they haven't figured out because this is God with their scales on their eyes. They haven't, and heart, they haven't figured it out. They're going to continue to do the same thing over and over again, caught up so deep in their own ideology. They refuse to believe that it's wrong. They're going to do this over and over and over and over again. They're going to continue to do it over and over again. And they're going to lose more and more credibility, more and more base. You look at Kamala Harris, 26% approval rating. If she didn't have family, friends, and far left wacko followers, she'd have no approval rating. This is who is next in command. This is who is next in command. We talk to, I mean, we, we've got, we're, we're talking to the communist regime of China as if they were just another developing nation. We're talking, we've talked to communist, communist China and communist Russia more than we've talked to the chancellor of Germany or Norway or Sweden or Denmark or Spain or Ireland or Italy. What? No, we're not going to. We we don't need to talk to them. Really? How about Poland? How about Eastern Europe? What are we doing? Are we preparing to protect the Ukraine? Are we preparing to mobilize NATO? Are we preparing to do that? Otherwise, the Ukraine is going to be taken. It's on the border now of being taken. Uh, You've heard me talk about it for years. I talked about it earlier this year that Russia has to take the Ukraine. And the weaker we become, they need it desperately. They're going to take it. And then who knows what else they're going to take. They know they have an administration that's too weak to do anything. They know they have an administration that they probably have so much on they can't do anything. I don't know why they think that. And I don't know why the administration thinks that because there won't be any accountability anyway. So they might as well let them expose it and just do what's right to do for America. But you, do you understand or you're starting to see the pattern that we've got an entire administration and, an, and, it, and a uh, very large majority of Capitol Hill that really doesn't care a lick about America or the American people. It's all pretend. It's all smoke and mirrors. They care about more power and and it's a it's a uh, and more control, more money. 
All right, we'll be back. We'll get to your calls right after this. Stay with us. 610-363-1110. We'll be back. When you hear about opioid overdoses, you probably don't realize half of the nation's overdoses happen in the exact same spot. It's happening right at home. Georgians are accidentally dying in their own homes because people don't understand the dangers of taking an Oxy or Perk for sleep, stress, or with a glass of alcohol. Learn how to protect your family from opioid overdose at opioidresponse.info. This message is brought to you by Georgia DBHDD. At Georgia Power, we're investing in infrastructure to ensure a more resilient power grid creating a balanced mix of hydro, solar, and nuclear energy, all while installing high-speed EV charging stations across the state and keeping your bill well below the national average. Because we know that the carbon-free energy Georgia needs to prosper tomorrow will come from the tireless energy we put in our communities today. Georgia Power, powering tomorrow, today. Welcome back. Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia, 610-363-1110. 610-363-1110. If you want to cue your call up, you're welcome to do it. 610-363-1110. We'll get to phones. Let me go to Mary. Mary's calling us from Texas. Hey, Mary. Hey, Dan. Good morning. Um, good morning. I appreciate your program and all that you do outside of that, the ministries you do even outside of that. Mm. Um, thankful to God for that, but I just wanted to, I wanted to comment on what you were talking about our Christian education. That's one thing. Um, to me, it's very bothersome that our Christian education is so expensive. So because of that, it's been that way since the beginning. It has been. So because of that, our churches, our pastors, our Christian community, could come together and make this happen. But it's going to have to be a doing, not just a talking about it. We just keep talking about how our country, you know, oh, it's being dismantled. Yeah, it is. So what are we, what are we as the people, we the people, what are we going to do about it? Not just talk about it anymore. It's been a year. We got three more to go. And I don't know about you, and I'm not trying to stir a pot. I'm not trying to be negative. But they're moving as quickly as they can. And we, we may not have the time if we don't actually do something and quit talking about it. And then what you referred to just a little bit ago in your, in your little bit of a rant, which I love your rant because you're bold. We need that. We need our men to be bold and speak up for our country. But when you were talking about, you know, God judging America – that could very well be what's happening. And then there's not going to be a thing we can do about that. If that's God's decision, we just right. better hold on and keep using our voices and keep yeah. doing the right thing and then keep trying to make change. And then if yeah. he allows it, he he granted begging from Abraham, you know, basically, yeah. and yeah. Moses. Moses. Yeah. So 
he might do that. I, I don't. I don't give up. I'm not giving up on this. Is just a judgment on America, which it very well could be with idolatry in our country, uh, the border problem, uh, the homosexuality just being paraded around and being forced on us by the media to watch it on TV in mm. every single program nowadays. Yeah. And, and you know, and you know, Mary, whether whether it's a judgment or not. It's got to be a call to action. It can't be, well, God's judging. That's the end of that. And, you know, we've got to keep fighting. we got to fight to the very end. We've got to fight until we know beyond a shadow of a doubt it is time. God is, God is call, getting ready to call us until we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And we've got to keep, it's a call to action. It's a call to more fight. It's not a call for complacency. I have a very difficult time. I'm, there, there are some conferences coming up that um, two in particular that I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to speak to. Uh, I'm not going to speak at. And uh, you know I because I, I can't. Because I don't know why, but I become you know uh, wh- whenever I'm there, I, for some reason I don't know what the deal is, but I become Father Confessor, and everybody calls me and emails me. I don't know why all these people are there. They're emailing me, and I hear the same theme all the time. This is great. We knew all this and it's great to know all the history and it's great to know all to do that. But you know, what's the action plan? How many action plan? What are we going to do? We're walking away. We don't know what we're going to do. How are we going to do? It's, it's great. And you know, I was at one, I was at one conference and not once did they talk about unity. You know, you've heard me say, Mary, I'm sure uh, so many times I, I was talking about it a lot in the last couple of months, but you know, um, about unity and the lack of unity. We got a Christian church that can't unite because we can't even agree on the songs to sing when all we've got to do is unite on the blood of Calvary. That's all we need. It's the essentials of the faith, but we don't owe the essentials of the faith. Yeah, we all agree with that. Do we? If we do, then why can't we unite? Well, because I don't like the songs they sing. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like a whole bunch of things that have nothing to do with us as a, as a body of believers uniting. And, and if we can't unite, listen, this is a, we have watched a movement unfold that has been incredibly successful because their success comes at the hand of dividing us and then dividing us again and then dividing us again. You know why there's LGBTQ? Is because they need to make five, six divisions of even that so that not any one of those groups can have too much strength. They will divide the Christians every way they can. They will divide the conservatives every way they can. They will divide the poor into pockets and the rich into pockets because there's no strength in those little divisions. And if we don't come together, you know, if we came together as a body of believers, we would be, there wouldn't be anything that we couldn't accomplish for the kingdom. But we can't do it because the blood of Calvary is not good enough for most churches. I say that very critically because it's a very critical statement. I get it. They're all mad at me. People hear that right now and they're, but it's true. And if you're mad, it's because you're convicted. If you're mad, it's because you got to look in the mirror. It is, we 
cannot unite on the very thing that God has called us to unite upon. Oh, we'll, we'll pray to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. But we will accept that blood on our terms and our terms alone. And it's going to be different than the church down the road. And that church is going to be different than the church down the road from them. And on and on it goes. Because even pastors have pride and ego, and it's separating us. And they've never, they haven't had, they haven't had a need to divide Christians, really divide us, because we've done it to ourselves. They can, you know, exacerbate it a little bit, but we've done it to ourselves. And you're absolutely right, Mary. What are we going to do to unite? I don't know. Boy, somebody tell me. Tell me what I got to do. I'll do it. I, I just, you know, I think of, you know, I, I, it's hard to talk about what, I, I know what could be done. I mean, we could have a great organization of uniting everybody, sign on a pact, make sure that we all show up in Washington you know, uh, in a, in a set time and have a conference and, you know, I'll tell you a million people, no, not even a million, uh, 300,000 people in Washington going to Congress, visiting all their, uh, senators and congressmen at one time in a conference. That's all that's needed. That's all that's needed. Everything stops it because even the conservatives don't believe that they have anything to worry about because the disjointed people has served them well too. So it is, you know, they're, they're not, they're not going to push back. It's got to be the people. The constitution says we have the right to overtake our government. We don't need to have force. It's not necessary. There won't be any force. It won't, it won't be necessary. There just has to be all united. We don't, we don't need to take up literal arms, just the sword of God's word. And we need to unite and we need to take back our government because it, we are reminded that when the government stops caring about the best interest of the governed, the governed have the right to take back the government. They work for us. We need to send that message. They don't care about constituents. They don't care about their districts. They don't care about America. They don't care about prosperity for all. They don't care about employment. They don't care about poverty. They don't care about prices. They don't care about an economy. They don't care about the opportunity to leave a better country than we found it to our to the next generation. They don't care about any of that. They don't care about America. They would call themselves, they lied to everybody and call themselves patriots. They have no clue what a patriot is. They, and and it's, it's a, we, we got to take it back. And we can't take it back divided. And I don't know what it's going to take to unite us. More, more words, more words. I'm giving, I, the very thing you and I are saying doesn't work. I give more. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what else to do. I mean, I, I'm... You know, they can take me off the air or do whatever they got to do. I, I, don't, I really don't care, but I'm not going to, at least I'm not going to care about standing up for, for Christ and what needs to happen. 
I care about this country. And um, the Christians can change everything. Change everything. You just got to have the will to do it. Mary, I appreciate your comments. I appreciate your, your, uh, you know, your desires and love for America and for the Lord. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Um, This may sound really harsh, and you don't have to verbally agree over the air, but Dan, it's down to either or. And like you were just saying, well, if our, if our pastors will come together and our churches and the Christian community, that's what I'm saying too. We agree. But Dan, they're not. We, we don't have a lot of time to ask. Yeah, you're, you're so right. We need you're to right. take over. The people need to take over the White House. That's I don't think. It's I, either or. Either or. I don't think it sounds harsh, Mary. I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. You're absolutely right. And the one thing that is most striking is we don't have a lot of time. The opinions and recommendations expressed by Dan are his own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of this station or any of the show's sponsors. Welcome back, Financial Issues. You know, I, it is encouraging to hear from people like Mary, but it's so incredibly discouraging, too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, uh, uh, I'm ready and I'm willing to do what it takes. And I, I, don't, I don't know that um, I'm, I'm ready and willing. But, you know, the sad part about it is when I think about it, Billions and billions of wasted dollars going to political campaigns hoping for a change. And when I think about what has to be done, I just got finished saying to Seth, I can't say this on the air, and here I go. Um, but when it when it has to when it comes down to it, I'm, I'm, I, I pray and I hope I, I, God knows I'm ready. Uh, he can use me. I'm, I'm not, I have no, I have no fear of what, what could happen or I don't have any fear of, uh, you know, confronting or anything like that, but it would take an awful lot of money. And I, that's what I said I can't say on the air because I don't want to make this a money issue. But then I'm thinking, as I said that, we have some of the smartest listeners in the country when it comes to money and logic. We have farmers and ranchers and people in rural areas, some of the smartest people, I think, in the, in the country because they possess logic and common sense. And I, 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 it, it, the reality of it is that no matter what you do, if you're going to do it in an effective, organized way, it's going to cost a lot of money. And that's one of the reasons why it's so hard for a lot of willing organizations or people to do what they need to do. I mean, it's, 
It's hard, but yet somebody will donate, you know, $3 million to some uh, radical left-wing conserv- um, uh, politician to help get him in office. And that person won't get in. They'll fail and, oh, well, money's down the toilet. They don't care. You want change, but, you know, they, you know, it's supporting. It's another thing. And that's, that's the problem. That's the problem. And my idea would be to start an organization that I already have a name for. I know, I know what we could do. I know how we could begin to unite in a hurry, but, and we could get the money if everybody joined for, I don't know, pick a number, $25. You know, if you got enough people, you'd have all the, all the finances you need to do what you got to do. And, and, but more importantly, you'd have the power of a, you know, half a million people or a million people, whatever it would be for whatever it would grow to. I've seen that. I've seen how it works. And I've seen and know that it does work. I'm talking about from a political perspective in Washington. It's got to be a march on the White House. Not a, not a violent march. But it's got to be a show of the American people. There's got to be a, a showing of enormous strength and conviction that we're going to change America. When I talk about it, Yvonne says, yeah, that's what you need. One more thing to commit to. I, and I, I, I know, and that, that is, you know, that's, that's an, that's an issue of course, but you know, I, and it's not, uh, you know, I don't see, I don't see anything like, like this happening. I think we've got to do it. God has given me a platform uh, of millions of people. If everybody listening told everybody they knew to please listen, to download the app if they don't have a station, to listen, to watch, to follow the work and the ministry, if everybody did just that, not support, not financially, I'm not talking about doing anything financially. I'm just saying if we raised up an army that way, then things could probably change because of the platform that we already have. I said to a friend, Yes, well, Dan Steiner, you know, you, you all, so many of you know Dan from Preborn. And he and I were talking for a very long time yesterday afternoon. And I said, you know, Dan, here's our problem. The FCC is going to look very different next year. I'll tell you what's going to happen. I said this to Dan. You are going to find out the real ministries. You're going to find out who the radio and TV ministries are that truly love the Lord more than anything else because they're the ones that are going to have to go off the air because they will not compromise. 
And the only thing left will be the compromisers. And another friend of mine, me saying the same thing yesterday afternoon too, said he thinks, we were laughing about it, it was more of a joke, but he said, you need to start offering shortwave radios on your website for people. And because you may be broadcasting on shortwave radio, I said, yeah, I, we were laughing about it. But, you know, because he said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I'm going to do everything I can. I get, I'm, I'm going to pray that we can keep a stream running somehow on the internet. We can keep something going and we can, we can broadcast and, and people will find us. If we can, if we can keep broadcasting, we're broadcast somehow. I'll keep, I'm going to keep broadcasting, but you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to have to make sure that we can keep a stream going, that we can keep a connection to the phone app or whatever it might be. But the FCC is going to change dramatically. They cannot, the progressives, the far left, the state run media cannot go into another presidential election with a bunch of crazy conservatives still on the airwaves. They can't do it. They're not going to do it. The FCC is going to change. But I've been saying that for a year. I've been planning for it for a year. I'm ready. And I believe that we'll still be able to get the word out as much as we possibly can. But I'll tell you, that's one thing we can do. Tell people, tell them, tell them about, tell them about the ministry. Tell them they got to listen. Tell them they got to watch. Tell them they got to be a part of it in some way, shape, or form. Not a part of it again, financially. I'm not trying to make a plea here for finances. That's not what I'm doing. But I'm trying to make a plea to, for a, a focal point in which we can gravitate to and rally. All I want to be at this point is a flagpole that we can rally around. There has to be a point that, uh, that we can all get to, virtually, I mean, that we can all get to, that we can rally around. And we got to have at least that. And when we get that, we'll be able to move forward in some way, shape, or form. You know, we're in every state in America, Hawaii and Alaska as well, you know, included. Every state. We're around the world on the internet. We have partners in the UK. We have partners in Singapore, the Philippines, in um, New Zealand, in Australia. We have partners around the world. We have people that can be listening to us right now. As a matter of fact, I'm certain we do in the UK. We have, <clears throat> we, we have a, we're off to a great start, obviously. But we got to do more. And that's where the army, we have hundreds of people that have joined and support us every month. At $20 a month, some people more, some people less. But we have a we have an army there that, you know, can, if all of those people went out, and again, not telling anybody they got to give money or support, you know, because if you do that, it loses credibility. And I don't want <clears throat> to, we don't need the money. We just need people. 
We just need the people, you know, showing up. Later, we might need the money. I'm not trying to say we, 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 we have what we need to keep, to keep on the air. But we need to grow, and you can do that organically by telling your friends. We've got a lot of work to do, folks. There's no doubt about it, and we can do it. I know we can do it. And uh, I appreciate uh, everybody that, that loves this America. We, I am talking to probably the largest group of patri- patriots in the country. Somebody very close, very big in radio said he believes that we have the largest evangelical Christian listening audience in the country. He said just by sheer numbers, it has to be because of we're on 680 stations, 80 TV markets. I don't know if they're right or not. I've never used that as a marketing thing because I, you know, I, I don't know. But if they're even close, we're off to a great start. All right, 610-363-1110. I promise. I promise. We'll recap. We'll look at the markets, and we'll get to calls for the next hour. If you got to leave us, have a great day. God bless. We'll see you tomorrow. Jesus said, go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Take up the cross. Follow me. It's not your money I want. I want your heart. Thank you for joining us. This has been an FISM production. When you hear about opioid overdoses, you probably don't realize half of the nation's overdoses happen in the exact same spot. It's happening right at home. Georgians are accidentally dying in their own homes because people don't understand the dangers of taking an Oxy or Perk for sleep, stress, or with a glass of alcohol. Learn how to protect your family from opioid overdose at opioidresponse.info. This message is brought to you by Georgia DBHDD. Veterans, do you know all VA has to offer? Like health care and housing assistance? Or help pursuing training or furthering your education? Learn how VA can serve you. Visit choose.va.gov. From one amazing tune to the other. It's TED Talks Daily. I'm Elise Hugh. To better understand the work we need to do now for a sustainable future, it helps to see what's happening through data and maps. In today's talk, Jack Dangermond, the head of the mapping platform ESRI, shares the new technology available to better understand and manage our planet. He introduces it in his 2021 talk recorded for the Countdown Summit, calling it a central nervous system for a sustainable globe. You wouldn't put your teen athlete on the same field as the pros, so why would you take them to the same doctor? Children's Healthcare of Atlanta Orthopedics and Sports Medicine is Georgia's only nationally ranked program for teen athletes. Visit today at choa.org slash teens. 
Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Capital One. Capital One believes everyone deserves better banking, meaning easier access to your money and more security. And that's why Capital One is investing in machine learning. They're fighting fraud with random forests, giving mobile app outages the causal model anomaly detection treatment, and speeding up online shopping with machine learning at the edge. Search machine learning at Capital One to explore more. Capital One, what's in your wallet? The world that we live in is not well known. It's fragile. It's rich in biodiversity. And it's increasingly impacted by human activities. Geologists are beginning to call this era the Anthropocene. Today, our world is in trouble because humans are living carelessly. We are threatening our very future. We are, as human beings, going to have to collectively come together and address these challenges. A sustainable future, in my mind, is possible, but we're going to have to do many things, and we're going to have to do these now. Sustainability really requires that we see the world as one system. Today, in my field, the geospatial field, we are seeing technologies emerge that are becoming interconnected. They're allowing us to measure, analyze, and understand what's occurring on our globe. We're bringing together geographic information from many sources, virtually describing everything that is occurring on our planet. These technologies are being systematically interconnected with the web and opening up, allowing organizations to be able to see information and create what I like to describe as a geographic information system for our entire planet. This system promises to be a platform for better understanding and managing our planet, a kind of nervous system for a more sustainable future. A central part of the system is content. We are creating a living atlas of our planet that provides a massive collection of authoritative data and map layers, describing information on things like population and the economy, a wealth of information on natural systems, including all the ologies, hydrology, biology, vegetation, and of course, the rich biodiversity that sustains us. This atlas also includes imagery from many sources, from satellites, aerial photography, describing the changing human footprint on our planet. Some of these layers are also almost real time, providing information about pollution and weather and land cover. Remote sensing and machine learning are making it possible for us to see things like wildfires here in the US, but also in Greece and Russia and Italy and Turkey this year. This data is being made available by thousands of individual trusted scientific government and NGO organizations who wish to share and make their data available openly. Recently, my colleagues and I developed a new 10-meter global map of land cover for the entire planet. This was computed in less than a week using AI and machine learning. It has given us a clear picture of land cover patterns today and will also be the foundation for us to periodically show change, update the footprint almost in real time. We can see in Malaysia where the demand for palm oil is impacting and consuming natural areas. In Buenos Aires, we can see the effect of urbanization and sprawl on impacting natural lands around the city. GIS is also being used to model and forecast our future. Organizations around the world are already leveraging this geospatial nervous system for better planning and decision-making. In the future, we're gonna have to 
empower virtually every organization to embrace this new geographic approach. The geographic approach is a way to bring all this information together to see holistically how things are interrelated. A science-based approach which is inclusive that can bring together multiple populations to be able to create more intelligent actions and create a more sustainable future. These kinds of advances in technology and information are increasingly available, but it's going to take more than simply technology to create a sustainable future. It's going to require major segments of our society, organizations, governments, businesses around the world, embracing this science, embracing what technology can offer, and using their creative and design skills to be able to create a better future. Ultimately, it'll require all of us to integrate this kind of thinking, this science-based thinking, this geographic approach thinking into the way that we make decisions, both as individuals and also in all of our institutions, locally, regionally, nationally, and ultimately globally. Like the internet and other pervasive technologies, this nervous system is going to grow and expand. It's going to empower our collective response to understanding and taking action, not only for climate, but also all the interrelated challenges that we are facing as a global society. We have the tools and the science for better understanding. Now that we can see as much as we can see, we must act. Thank you very much. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.